Hello and welcome to the Outpost Community Church Sunday podcast. My name is Greg and we are currently going through a series in Matthew and we are so glad you tuned in. If you'd like to hear more about the vision and mission of Outpost Community Church, you can go to our website at outpostcommunity.org and you will find it there. Otherwise, we pray that you have a wonderful week of worship and that this message would inspire you to follow Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Can I have a seat? Welcome. How you doing? Good. Doing good. All right, kiddos, you guys are welcome to roll. Go down to kids, Outpost Kids. We love you. Well, you guys look fantastic and great. Welcome to Outpost. Uh, Outpost is a church, and a church is not a building. It's a what? It's a people. It's not a place. It's a people. It's a gathering of people. And you guys are gathering in here, hanging out. It's nice and cool. It's not summer's over officially. Apparently, does it feel that way? Was anybody ready for it? Anybody ready for, like, the pumpkin spice, the candles, fires? All right, all right. A few of the women, men hunting. You're excited about that, right? Okay, great. Maybe a little more snow would be better. Well, hey, well, uh, my name is Greg. I have the privilege of being the pastor here at Outpost. I'm glad that you guys are here. Welcome. Um, one of the things at Outpost is it being a people, uh, we don't want you just to make it into the building. We like to be plugged into this family's community. So if you'd like to get connected with us, we would love to be connected with you. An easy way to do that is a connection card in the seat in front of you. You can fill that out. You can put information. There's a few boxes you could check if you want to. Uh, but if you've got questions or prayer requests, you could write it on there. Fold those in half. They go in the boxes that are on the fireplace outside, which is also where we worship the Lord, continue our worship this morning through giving. And uh, you could do that there. You could do that online. Or many of you know on the Church Center app, you could do that as well. Okay. Now, the Church Center app, if you do not have it, anybody in here have the Church Center app? Okay, anybody in here have it? You forgot you had it? Okay, some of you. Uh, probably everybody who just raised their hand. Okay, listen. There's also uh, something wonderful for our high school and middle school students, and it's called Summit Weekend, which is this weekend. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a time where all of our students can just spend a weekend together, and they're going to connect to God through His Word. They're going to connect to each other. They're going to have some fun. It's going to be a sweet time. And so if you want to sign up for that, young dudes and gals, uh, it's $25, and you can register on the app. Parents, you could do that. If the kids have no money, they're going to need your help. The $25, it just helps to basically cover food. We're going in debt on this. It's going to be fantastic. All right? All right. <clears throat> now, the last two weeks, we did a uh, feedback sessions where the elders and the staff just sat up here, and everybody who wanted to just come and share feedback or listen in on that came and sat in. So that was about 30 to 40 people uh, both weeks, Okay. Now, here's what I want to do. In a conversation, if I'm talking to you or you're talking to me, all right, if you tell me something, uh, one of the loving ways that I can show you that I was listening is to repeat back what I heard you say. Does that make sense? You say something to me, you're like, hey, uh, this is what I heard you say. Is that correct? Okay. And so that person can go, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say, or no, that's not what I'm trying to say. I mean this. Does that make sense to everybody? So we're going to do that real quick. I know most of you didn't come to this. You're like, I didn't come to that. I don't know what was said. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I want to share the four uh, top things that were communicated, and we distilled these down into four major things, okay? Number one, uh, there was some encouragement, concerns, criticisms, thoughts about community at Outpost. 
primarily in the area of what do we do when, uh, here, let me say it this way. At Outpost, community is a lot different than what most people have experienced. It's got a little bit more expectation. It's a little bit more uh, focused on self-leadership in the midst of community. So it's a big task. If you're in it, you know, right? If you know, you know. If you're not in it, it can look kind of scary because you go, oh, this thing called membership is tied to it. That freaks me out. And so it can kind of freak people out from going from an, a person who attends here to being a member who's in community. Anybody agree with that? Okay, that's what I'm hearing you say. All right, and so that's a big jump. And so what about all the people who are over here who are not sure they want to be over here? And so there's a gap in the middle. And so the, the thing that was raised was, like, hey, what do we do about that gap? Is there a place for people to get plugged in, connect with one another, get to know one another, but not yet step into the membership process? And so that's one of the big concerns we heard. Uh, number two, communication. And that there was not, uh, communication was a little bit poor between staff or, or really poor between staff and the body. If you filled out things online, it didn't get responded to, emails were not coming back in time. And so there could be better communication about what's going on or the TV's being seeked up with the slides, being seeked up with the email and the website and all those things. So some communication things. Uh, the third one starts with the C, connecting. Uh, and so uh, can our, uh, the, the, the concern was basically, hey, we need better connection as a body. So it's you know, men getting to hang with men, uh, women, uh, something for the women. Anybody agree with that? I hear you say, okay. Better connection for the women. Um, also better connection between generations. Uh, that those who are older and those who are younger would have places where they could begin to connect, and that's really important for discipleship. We heard that. And then also just straight up connecting, right? Just hanging, kicking it, which Corey Foreman, is he in the room? Okay, Corey Foreman's got a fantastic idea. He wants to know if everybody would like to do a country swing night together. Anybody down for that? I'm kind of down for that, all right? So I think that sounds great. We'll just push out these chairs, and we'll just start swinging Okay, uh, I don't even know what that means, but basically, <clears throat> basically, just to have some time to get to know each other and hang out and connect, because Sunday we do get some connection, but maybe it could be a little bit better, right? I th it sounds like y'all are more Baptist than we thought. You just want some potlucks and all that. All right, so that's one. Hey, and the last one, <clears throat> uh, which I do not remember. Oh, the last one doesn't start with a C. I wish it did, but it doesn't. Uh, it's just Sunday morning, cleaning up the way that we run Sunday morning, getting a little bit more excellent, okay? So these are the top four things that we heard, and so I'm sharing them back to you. Now, what are we going to do about it? That's the big next question. Mark Barkas, a good friend in here. If you haven't met him, you should get to know him. Shared, hey, what are our next steps? What are we going to do about this, right? It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to walk about it, and so here's what our next steps are for you. Number one, we're just going to say, hey, listen, we're going to move these things to the team's that focus on them, and some of you sit on those teams, we're going to start to work on those, address those together. And so we're hoping you're going to see the fruit of it, not just hear what we're going to promise to you. And, and so that's number one. We're going to start moving all these concerns to the teams that need to focus on them. And number two, uh, of those four things I just shared, community, trying to find a place for, for those who are first time attending, they just want to get connected, they want to know people, communication's getting better, uh, being able to connect to one another and making Sundays a little bit more excellent. If, any of the, if you heard anything in there, just generically speaking, that you would go, hey, I'd like to be a part of making that better, okay? Uh, would you just raise your hand if you go, man, I'd be interested in helping out with that? Just real simple. 
Okay, listen, I'm not like, I don't have photographic memory. I'm not going to go, hey, you raised your hand. So I, I just basically, would you like to be a part of making that better? And I see some of you guys going, yeah, I'd like to. And so that's fantastic. That's going to transition to the next thing, which is this. All right, let's go ahead and start working on one of them right now. And that's connection. So here's what I do. We are really great at Outpost. I'm very proud of this church. You guys are very good at connecting in this time, getting to know, love, laugh. I've heard so many people say, when I came here, I felt love, I felt pursued. I want you to take it up a notch. Uh, at Outpost, I do not think it's the staff's or the elders' responsibility to be Christian so that you don't have to. And so here's what I would encourage you to do. If you are a Christian, I want you to get connected to people in the room who do not know Jesus or do know Jesus or whatever, who are visiting. And I want you to go beyond just going, let's have a conversation. Maybe you guys go, hey, can we exchange numbers? What if we got lunch and just got to know one another? If you don't like that, uh, that's fine. That's on you, okay? But that's not on Greg, all right? So let's get up. Let's connect one another. Get to know somebody. If someone's sitting quietly by themselves, it's your responsibility to go say hey and get to know them, all right? Send it. <clears throat>
Good morning, everybody. <laughs> um, morning, yeah. My name is Jake Scott, and um, yeah, I get to talk to you all this morning. Um, I have the pleasure of being able to serve and uh, lead on the worship team, and uh, this morning I uh, get to share my story. And um, I'm a super nervous person, and being up in front of everybody is definitely a fear, but um, being able to be up here um, is really just a blessing, and the fact that I get to stand here and speak about God's grace in my life is just, um, it's an honor. So um, I grew up in a home um, here in Cody, Wyoming. My parents, loving, uh, raised us in um, just a, a great Christian home, so very fortunate in that, and um, very blessed to have parents that love me and just really uh, tried to instill that in me from a very young age. So um, at age, age 11, um, music, uh, as most of you know, this is my <laughs> one of my talents. And um, music was something that was very important to me, and it became something that was absolutely everything. And so um, the choices with music were kind of the beginning of uh, what started to change in my life. Um, the power of words. Uh, Proverbs is something that talks about words and um, either to bring up or tear down. And um, yeah, that was very much true. Um, as I chose to listen to very specific music, um, that was um, just really tearing down of um, what Christ talks about. So um, my life became very much about pleasing others and fitting in my self-image, and um, I never felt very valuable. And so it was very much about impressing those around me. Um, my humor or just my um, wild side uh, was something that I, helped me feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, so from a very young age, getting into smoking, drinking, um, drug use, that was just me trying to fit in. And it started from a pretty young age. So. Um, and then uh, pornography as well. So um, just exposed to that at a very young age. And um, yeah, it just became little by little. Um, when I was a teen, um, I was uh, involved in a sexual sin that really um, just transformed my life um, for the next 20 years. Um, it brought a lot of shame and hatred for myself. Um, and I just, I turned to substance abuse for over 20 years. Um, in that time period in my teens, um, I never felt fully, I never felt this connection with God. I never felt saved. And so there was this fear of just never knowing what would happen at the end of my life. Um, so it was constant. I would pray to God almost daily and just say, you know, I just, I, I wanted this idea of salvation and this peace that everyone had talked about. Um, but my life reflected very much just through my decisions, um, it was more about myself. And so um, through high school that continued and all the way into college, um, I came to a place of just failure through school. Um, I had uh, been awarded some, uh, some scholarships um, very quickly. That all uh, came to a halt. Uh, my partying lifestyle was most important. And um, there just became this place of, of failure. Um, Suicide was something that was very uh, much on my mind. Um, I became, um, I, uh, 
anyways, uh, overdose, heavy drug use, that's when that all kind of came to the picture. So um, this was me just trying to deal with uh, my self-image. Um, I moved back home um, after failing the school, um, just continually running from uh, everything in my life. Um, I ended up uh, moving from town to town. I was kind of bouncing around trying to um, figure out where I needed to be, be away from drug use, and it just followed me wherever I went. Um, I uh, met a woman, um, and she became pregnant, and, um, and we had our first son, Wesley. So, um, um, so I, we married, and that was very, ended very quickly uh, in divorce um, just because of, um, anyways. Um, I continued to just kind of try to figure out what was going on. Uh, I took full custody of Wesley, and I moved down to Colorado, um, just trying to figure out a career for myself. Um, life was very much about myself. Um, at a young age, uh, my child was not um, my first priority. Um, my feelings, my emotions, my addiction were always at the very beginning of what was most important for me. Um, I chased my dream of becoming a chef, and um, that's what I do currently today. Um, in the midst of that, uh, I, I did get back, try to get back together with the kids' mom. We had two other kids, and um, it was just a very uh, dark, hard time for about 10 years of trying to raise the kids um, and really just trying to survive um, around my career, um, my addictions, and just, uh, and that was, again, all about myself. Um, I got back to Cody and um, around my family and had the opportunity to open up a restaurant. Um, at this point, I felt very uh, successful in this way. Of, I'd always wanted to start a restaurant. Um, at age 30, that was a goal. Um, I had the opportunity. Um, it was successful, but um, the amount of work and just um, time that was put into that, um, my kids and the idea of a family were always at, um, were always second. And, um, and still, um, my drug use and all of that were very much just kind of sustaining me to work 100-hour weeks. Um, as well, like through this time, and I think uh, probably a lot of you um, at this point have maybe read my story, um, I was selling drugs to kind of support either my, my lifestyle, my habit, but also to take care of my kids. Um, and this was just something that um, was kept very quiet. Um, a lot of people didn't know that. I don't know about my, even my family, but um, yeah, it was something that just, I, it helped me sustain my lifestyle. So. There became a turning point. Um, anyways, in my restaurant, um, I met my wonderful wife, Porter, here. Um, throughout this entire time, my idea of God had been just kind of pushed away. Um, I had gotten into like some pretty psychedelic uh, side of things, of just kind of ideas, new age, this idea of um, being able to kind of generate my own uh, reality. Um, at that point, I felt like my ability to um, almost be a god of my own destiny, reality, all that was due to my knowledge and understanding and through my psychedelic experiences. Um, I was very open to the idea that there was maybe a god, but um, it just seemed like a short path 
beyond this idea that there was more beyond this idea of the God that the Bible had talked about. Um, Porter was very encouraging. Um, she was very light. Um, yeah, there's a lot of darkness and just hatred in my heart. And so um, she was just a beautiful woman and uh, was very good at loving those around her. And um, yeah, she just encouraged me to pray. Um, there was some opportunities um, just through my work um, with anxiety and um, Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything be by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God will surpass all understanding. Um, there was a couple instances, um, especially with the, I the idea that I needed to walk away from this job at this restaurant that I had built with um, Faith and Peter. And um, I just remember being prayerful about that. And it was probably the easiest conversation as I've ever had in my life. The amount of peace to make that decision, um, that was a really big piece um, to just this understanding that God I just, it was beyond my control of really how that played out. And uh, the focus to kind of work back towards taking care of my kids, um, that, was, that was a big piece. So um, I went to work for my brother, my brother uh, Matt over here. <laughs> I remember him just like listening to sermons while we would be on the work job site, and I was so embarrassed when people would come in. It was just like... <laughs> I would love listening to it, but I remember just being so embarrassed um, and just, um, but he was, my brother was a big piece of this as well. Um, so anyways, I had made a commitment to him that I wouldn't sell drugs and I would be sober. And for the first time, this was probably uh, the first time I had tried to be sober in my life. And um, it was the first time I'd had a lot of the anxiety and all that from the job and pressure of succeeding taken away. It was a time that I could really just uh, rest, and um, it was a really beautiful time of just peace for my for me. And uh, I just had a great um, leadership in my life at that point. I went back to CMA, um, where I'd grown up in, and there was just a couple um, of really key points there. Um, Pastor Mark there and Greg here as well, just through their teaching, um, really started challenging me um, to start... Um, mending my relationships and uh god really showed up in those moments of just um allowing for those relationships to be restored um i was and then so i started to play on the worship team there um i was still selling drugs too though um in my mind i had uh justified this idea of being able to do that um to provide for my family um at the same time but um yeah, I was very much living a, a double standard life. Um, I remember being invited by Christian Baumeister to a Bible study with Greg um, before he went down to Watermark where we studied Luke. And it was the first time that I'd really sat down, written out um, my ideas and thoughts as I was reading through the, through the book. And um, it was the first time I'd really started reading God's word with this idea of just wanting to know and understand it. Um, I very much most of my life was about doing things because that's what God had asked or that's what we were supposed to do. And, um, and so e even through giving and those types of things, my, my perception was really um, poor and askew. So um, anyways, as I kind of dive deep into that and this, this was all happening, um, 
Greg had moved down to Watermark um, to the Institute, and um, we had kind of just said, hey, we'd love to be a part of supporting that, and and really didn't really understand what that meant. And, and in my mind, I was like, uh, you know, maybe when you come back, I could help with music or do something like that. And, and Greg really challenged me and just said, I want you to be prayerful about that. And uh, so I did, and I really didn't expect uh, a lot of what kind of came after that. It was a loaded, it was a loaded uh, prayer, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, just kind of through doing some research and listening to um, some of the teachings there, um, I ended up falling upon Join the Journey, which was a daily devotion. It was something that Porter and I could read together, um, and it was just an amazing thing for us to read God's Word together, really challenging questions, and it was um, a time that just really, um, yeah, there was it really engaged those types of questions, and it really came down to a place of... Um, us reading together, I remember reading Romans 13 about authority, and there was a major conviction of what was going on in my life, and uh, for the first time, I had even considered of just possibly even just stopping what I'd been doing as far as selling drugs and the, that type of thing, and uh, just being prayerful for it, it became very clear. Um, it was very scary for me. We had a uh, extravagant lifestyle. I've always been a little bit flashy. So. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Anyway, so that was a, uh, a big challenge, just of, of control. And, um, you know, it was a time that we uh, made that decision together and walked away and um, struggled financially for a while. Um, but um, what God did in that amount of time um, was the most probably um, impactful time period. Um, there became pretty clear that if uh, Greg was going to be coming back here and was going to be starting a church, this idea of what was going on, uh, regeneration was a big thing um, that kind of was starting to speak to me. And I had a lot of my past that was um, I'd never shared with anybody. And there was a clear piece of the 2% that we don't share, um, that we don't share. And that was kind of clear that probably at some point if I was going to be um, joining a church and uh, – here without post that uh, that was just kind of like hey this is probably what's going to happen and so um i don't know there just came this piece of i needed to share with my wife i needed to share with somebody my past and and confession and um yeah you really build up in your mind this idea that nobody can really understand your story or they won't understand they won't love you there's a lot of lies that come into your mind when you're thinking through those things and um god really uh, just blessed me by the people that he put my life to share that story to. Um, I was met with so much grace and love um, that it really uh, changed my perspective completely. Um, God showed his love through me sh sharing my confession with those. And um, he continues to do that by the people he places in my life. Um, James 5.16, confess your sins to one another so you may be healed. This is the first time that I'd felt true healing and peace in my heart. Um, yeah, it very quickly started to help shape my marriage and my family. Um, a lot of challenges um, ahead, and God met me in every single one of those things. Uh, a better husband to love my wife. Uh, we went through... Um, some counseling, and then uh, we're lucky enough to go through um, 
re-engage as a community group. And um, that was last year. Um, and uh, this has been the best year of our marriage, just going through that process. So challenging, but absolutely, um, without a doubt, the best year of marriage. Uh, my anger, my family, um, this has just been such an amazing time to be able to um, share what God has done in my life and love them back. They prayed for me for so long, and uh, I'm grateful for that. Um, this has helped shape our, our business, the way um, I work, the people that God has placed in our lives. It's an opportunity to love those around us, and I'm grateful for that. Um, yeah, it's just been an opportunity to share my story again and again. Uh, a couple years back, I was able to share my story in depth. There's a lot that I'm not able to share here um, today just because of... Uh, this is not the place for it. So, But uh, I had a friend who uh, just started working with me on the house and uh, just got to share my story and uh, watch him be able to just open up, um, you know, just to express, you know, where he was at probably about a week before that, um, you know, trying to kill himself. A really similar story. There's just... You never know um, the opportunity that you have and what you've gone through and what God is going to use for it. So I'm grateful um, to see his love through turning my disastrous story into um, his glory. So thank you this morning. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Oh, man. Um, hey, if you have a Bible, grab it. Okay. This is not going to be a sharp turn to the right, so don't worry. You're not going to fall out of the boat. Uh, go to Matthew chapter 9. This is where we're going to be. Uh, Jake, thanks for sharing your story, brother. And um, I think it's an honor that we all get to be a part of each other's stories. And that God just... I think some of the, what's super crazy is that God saves sinners. What's also crazy is that God uses sinners to go be a part of saving more. It's kind of it's ridiculous. I, I could think of a better plan, but apparently the Lord doesn't agree with me. <laughs> hey, why don't you guys stand and read God's word, and then I'm going to bridge the gap between what uh, Jake just shared with us. Let's, let's look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Listen to, listen to God's word. As Jesus passed on from there... He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. 
I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You guys can have a seat. Today, what we're looking at is a passage that I think answers a question that has already been answered for Jake Scott, but I think needs to be answered for all of us. And the question is this. You don't know what I've done. Uh, Here's a statement. You don't know what I've done. God would never accept me. And and Jake believed that. I believe that. Uh, So many times over my uh, life to Jesus, since then with Jesus, Man, because of the things I've done, I'm just too much of a sinner. You don't understand what I've done. If anybody knew what I had done, man, they wouldn't love me. And I I hope you heard in Jake's testimony something that I I noticed, I've already known, how much the the Word of God corrected that question for him and reshaped his understanding that that's actually not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is not the God who goes, uh, you know, if I find out you've done some of these things, you might as well just go ahead and give up because I'm not here for you. And so what we're going to look at today is just a message that talks, uh, that I think is, I titled it Rise and Recline, which just sounds really nice. Rise and Recline because God wants to call us up out of things so that we can be with him because he actually wants to be with us. And it's pretty amazing. Uh, we hear the stories like Jake's, but here's the thing. Some of you, you don't relate to Jake's story whatsoever, and this message is for you as well, because there's an opposite side to the question, you know, if people knew or if God knew what I had done, he would not accept me. There's an opposite side which says, oh, I get why God accepted me, and we're going to look at both, all right? So we're going to look at, let's go to verse 9. I'm going to reread this. I'm gonna take, we're going we're gonna to take our time. We're going to go through it. We're not going to... Uh, but it's going to be good, all right? Verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, where is there? Well, last week, he's in Capernaum. He's in Peter's house. We have the whole scene that we talked about last week, and Ashley Lumball did a great job sharing uh, about which, uh, uh, you know, just in case you're confused, I taught. Ashley's here. You're probably freaking out. You're like, oh, okay, women teach here. Uh, that was a side note. Look, I just helped somebody in this room. I don't know. Uh, but the reality is Ashley shared her story being paralyzed and just the story of God, Jesus healing a paralyzed person and showing he's like, hey, he wants to do a lot more than just heal your legs, right? He wants to heal your soul. And so he, Jesus leaves Peter's house. He gets on the road. He's walking out. And somewhere near Capernaum, he sees somebody. Now, that word saw is so incredibly important because the word saw, when it says that he saw Matthew, it's more than just like he glanced and he noticed. It means that he considered and he watched somebody. Why is this important? Uh, I've got kiddos, all right? And any of you know, my little boys, you get, uh, well, anybody who's got kids knows what it's like. My little boys love to say one phrase to me all day long. Daddy, watch this. Daddy, watch me. Watch. Daddy, watch. And it doesn't matter. It could be a thing that I've already watched 15 times in a row. And they're going to go, Daddy, watch. And I go, buddy, I have already seen you do this. Leave me alone, right? But they want me to, my boys don't want me to just to glance or to see it out of my peripheral. What do they want? My kids want me to consider them. They want me to look at them. And that, it's much more than just what I'm doing with my eyes. They want to feel like they have my attention, right? And that's exactly what it's saying right here. He saw Matthew. Matthew had his attention. 
Now, in a world full of ambition, I've got ambition. Anybody in here have ambition? I've got some ambition. Ambition's not a bad thing. But ambition, Jesus had ambition. But ambition in a sinner's heart like mine can make me pretty distracted. It can make me busy. And you know, there's this phrase, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Busyness has a way of numbing your heart towards the things that are really beautiful and sweet in the world, right? It can, ha- it can make you numb to the joys, and it also can make you numb to the pains, especially the pains of others. It makes you very unempathetic when you're really busy chasing your ambition. And so I have a tendency at my home to where I can just get distracted of mine, and everybody's around me saying, hey, Daddy, watch, and I'm not looking. But Jesus has ambition, and in Luke 17, 10, Jesus tells us what his ambition is. You know what Jesus' ambition is? Luke 17, 10, he says, for the Son of Man, for Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. That's Jesus' ambition. He came to seek and save the lost. Now, if you want to seek and you want to save somebody, you got to see them, right? You got to see them. You got to find them. You got to see them, and then you could save them. And so it says that Jesus saw this man, and some of you in this room need to hear, that Jesus sees you. Not at a glance, not in the periphery. He sees you. Now, he sees a man named Matthew. And Matthew's name, it's the Hebrew is Matathia, which comes from the word, or it means gift of Jehovah, all right? And names can have a lot of importance in life. Uh, at Wyatt's, uh, Wyatt Becker is getting married. I don't know if you guys know that, right? Somebody in this room is really excited about that. Um, but Wyatt's name means uh, mighty warrior. And so when we were, a bunch of guys were out at Jeremy Becker's house and we're sitting and I just share, like, your name means this. And what's cool is a lot of times people grow up into their names. Is, am I right? Have you ever seen this? My name, Gregory, actually comes from a, wor- a Germanic word for shepherd or watchman. I don't think my parents saw it coming, the whole pastor thing, okay? Because I grew up in a family whose dad was a drug dealer, and I don't think he was thinking, this guy's going to be a pastor, all right? Uh, not even close. I didn't see it coming. But isn't that interesting? And so names actually mean something. The problem is for Matthew, he did not actually grow up to be gift of Jehovah. He ended up being a curse of Satan to everybody in his community. And the reason is because Matthew was a tax collector. Now, what's the big deal with that? Okay, number one, anybody in here like love paying taxes? Anybody in here going like the IRS is my favorite part of the government? <laughs> no, okay. But it's, it's actually much worse than that. Because Matthew's not a Jewish tax collector. He is a Jew who is a Roman tax collector. And that's altogether different. It would be like one of you Americans in this room taking taxes from everybody in Cody for the Chinese government and you getting rich in the process. I'm talking like, I'm talking like Britain 40% tax, okay? giving it to the Chinese, and you're taking a little extra off the top and getting rich. We have a word for people like that. Okay, and I know you're thinking of one, but I'm thinking traitor. That's a traitor. And so it says that Jesus was walking on from Peter's house, and he saw this Matthew, gift of Jehovah, traitor of his people, getting rich in the process. Everybody else hates him. He saw that guy. And what's really crazy is not only did he see him, he also said to him, follow me. Now, 
Follow me is a present progressive imperative, which means nothing to a lot of you, okay? And neither to me, okay? I barely know what an adjective is, okay? Can't even say it. Uh, Follow me is a present progressive imperative, which means that it is a right now, as I walk, it's a continuous doing of something. Now, it's an imperative. It's a command. And so he says, I want you to follow me. He's not saying, hey, get over here, Matthew. I got something to talk to you about. He's not taking him out of the woodshed. Go, I, I, I need to tell you something, Matthew. No, what he's doing is he say, hey, Matthew, come be one of mine. Come be my apprentice. Come get, you should be a part of our band. Come on, get in the gang with us. You should be a part of our gang, Right? Come be with me and mine. That's what he's saying. He's not, it's not come over here to the side of the road. I want to show you something special. It's come and follow me. So I, I broke this whole thing down into three parts, and this whole first part is about invitation. What are the three things I want you guys to see from this section on invitation? Number one, I know that many of you in this room have struggled, will struggle, or are currently struggling to believe that God wants to do have anything to do with you. You don't think that Jesus wants to do, have anything to do with you. In fact, if Jesus came up to your workplace or saw you downtown walking around, getting some candy at Cowtown Candy, wherever, and he said, hey, you, and you knew it was the Son of God, your first feeling would not be, oh, the person who loves me. Your first thought would go, oh, no. What is he going to say? This feeling of guilt and fear and shame. And I want you to see in this passage something very simple, and it's that God is not just, <clears throat> you know, some big guy in the sky with a big ant pile just stomping on whatever he feels like. He's somebody who sees you. He knows you by name. You have a value and dignity that our world doesn't understand because they don't understand you've been created in the image of God, which means that you're a spirit You're not just a body. You're not just somebody who's done bad things. You are one of his children, one of his creation. He cares about you in a unique way, and he sees you. Some of you need to hear that God sees you. Second thing, the call to follow Jesus. Friends, listen to me. I love you. You need to hear that the call to follow Jesus is really simple. It's really simple. It means follow Jesus. That's all it means. Follow Jesus. Now, you Christians, because you're American, you're Western, you're a millennial, you're a boomer, whatever your problem is, okay, all the complications of your life, you make everything complicated constantly. Constantly. It is simple. It is rise and follow me. Matthew, it says, he says, follow me. Matthew gets up and follows Jesus. That's it. So listen, it's so simple. When you get up in the morning and you rise, what do you do? Follow Jesus. When you rise from your desk at work, what do you do? Just follow Jesus. That's it. It's that simple. Some of you just need to hear that because you're going, well, am I supposed to do this? Am I supposed to do that? And what happens is you, 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 comp- you complicate everything, and so you do nothing. And that's why nobody in your office knows that you're a Christian. Nobody in your school knows that you're a follower of Jesus. Just rise and follow him. Just follow Jesus. 
And if you blunder, if you make a mistake, ah, rise up out of your mistake. Keep following Jesus. Follow Jesus. Keep it simple. Here's the third thing. It's a present progressive imperative, which means that following Jesus is not something that you just do right now this morning, friends. When you rise out of this seat this morning and you're going to go back into the community, you're still a follower of Jesus, Christians. It didn't just happen here. You don't follow Jesus in your quiet time at your house and then leave him at home with the kids while you go and live your life. Do you understand? It's a, I am a follower of Jesus whether I'm here or I'm at home or I'm asleep or I'm with you or we're at dinner or we're at a football game or, you know, we're hunting. I'm a follower of Jesus wherever I go and I'm just going to follow Jesus wherever I go because Jesus has invited all of us to follow him. That's the first point. You have been invited to just simply follow Jesus and not just follow him, be a follower of Jesus. Do you understand? Some of you, the people who need to hear this most in this entire room, outside of some of you in this room who are going, man, I just don't think Jesus really cares about me, which is a total lie. That is Satan. That is something in your head that is not Jesus. But so, uh, the rest of you, the people in here who've been a Christian the longest, you need to hear, you are making it too complicated. And that's what makes you a legalist to, towards yourself and towards others. Rise up and follow him. Somebody just say, okay. Okay, all right, great. Let's go on. Now, I'm going to admit, if you decide that you want to rise and you want to follow Jesus, there's going to be some challenges. So I, I, I'm not going to, look, I'm not trying to be condescending. I'm not trying to be mean. I, it's, for some reason, I can't just rise and follow Jesus. I just, I rise, uh, and Greg gets involved. And every time Greg gets involved, it just gets worse. Okay? And there's some challenges. And I want to read some challenges. Let's look at verse 10 and 11 again. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, look at this, somebody else sees something. They said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, so listen, in Jesus' quest to seek and to save, one of the number one things he uses is eating with people. Anybody like that? I know Jake Scott does. And I know everyone around Jake Scott does, all right? Um, he uses eating. If you read the Gospels, Jesus is almost always heading towards a meal, in a meal, or just coming from a meal. He's always eating. To the point in Matthew 11, they eventually say, ah, oh, you're just, you know, you're a, he, he's, a, he's a drunkard and a glutton is what they call him. But he uses eating and dining together as his primary way of spending time with non-believers, tearing down walls so that he could share them some truths. Because it's a very, it's a very, a family-oriented environment. Am I right? It's, it's, it's a place that we can connect. And so what ends up happening in this culture, when they come together, many of you don't know this because you're American, but in Jewish cultures, it, it's a, when it says recline, they legitimately like recline, okay? I don't mean sitting in your lazy boy. That's not how they eat. They don't really sit in chairs. They lay on pillows all around each other. And so it's a little bit of like laying on each other. So what, the best image I can give you guys is anybody in here know what a sectional is? It's the most glorious family couch that's ever existed, okay? It's like when you and your family or somebody's family is sitting to watch a movie and you're all sprawled out in the sectional. You know how, you see how intimate that is? It's a place that just kind of lay, so it's the same thing, but imagine a table at the middle and we're all kind of reclined, feet away from the table, kind of at an angle, we're just kind of laying and talking to each other. It's, it's, a, it's actually, to say that you recline with somebody at table is a very intimate thing. 
We're sitting and we're eating together. So it's just, so Jesus, what we have in this picture is he invites this guy named Matthew, gift of Jehovah, who's been a curse. And what's really cool is, and this is always what happens, he, Matthew goes and gets all of his buddies, which are all a bunch of other tax collectors, right? All of his known associates. And he brings them over to his house. Now, I want to, here's the thing. This is great. Uh, here's what I want to do to help paint a picture for you. I want you to think about the, like, the biggest party animal you've ever known, all right? I'm thinking, like, think about the, like, the craziest rodeo cowboy you've ever met in your life. Just loves to drink and party and have fun. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are smiling because you're either it's you or you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, right? Jake, it was us. Okay? And what happens is he, he gets Matthew, and Matthew goes and gets all of his buddies. Now, here's the thing you need to know. These guys are all hated by the community. They probably had really crazy political views, views on, so, uh, on society. They probably, they probably could just really hammer some alcohol. They probably loved to party and eat and fellowship. So coming over to Matthew's, I'm just, imagine a group of guys just showing up, bottles of wine going like, all right, let's kick it. Who's this guy? His name's Jesus. What up, Jesus? Like, these are my favorite people because they never meet a stranger. They're like, hey, well, halfway through this bottle, we're all going to be friends. And so they all sit at the table. And so Jesus has just, or Matthew has just decided to follow this man named Jesus. He brings all of his buddies over. They're all sitting there. And apparently this is sort of like noticeable. Anybody ever seen a party that's kind of noticeable in the, in the, in the neighborhood? Right? It's one of those ones that get the cops called because it's kind of loud. And that's kind of what's happened. Like, they're all sitting together. And the religious cops, the Pharisees, show up. And when they come here, they see this religious teacher that's getting all the attention. And he's sitting right there in the middle of all these, I think about the worst rodeo guys, man. Just like, and he's just right there in the middle of them, spending time with them. And so here comes the challenge. And so I want to talk to you about two challenges. The challenges that come from the outside, the challenges that come from the inside. Challenges that come from the outside, challenges that come from the inside, challenges the outside. The Pharisees are a great example of the challenge that comes from the outside. If you decide you want to follow Jesus, you are promised, you are guaranteed that there are going to be people who suddenly have extreme expectations of what you're supposed to be like. Anybody ever experienced this? When I became a Christian, I lost friends because I became a Christian. Lost them. Whether it was my fault or not, I lost them. And I gained some other ones, right? Uh, so becoming a Christian, I saw expectations kind of changed in my life. And suddenly people had thoughts about who I was or what I should do or I should stop being a hypocrite and all these things. Anybody experience that? Okay, if you haven't and you call yourself a Christian, it's because your Christianity is so quiet, nobody can hear it. And, but here's the other thing. I also felt like when I became a pastor, that's when it really went like this. Okay, because when, you, when I became a pastor, particularly a lead pastor, suddenly everybody has expectations. I've got the one job that nobody wants, but everybody's got an opinion about, right? There's so many armchair pastors out there. And, and so, listen, I'm not complaining. It's just true. And some of it is, is, is actually really dangerous and unhealthy. There's been some challenges in being a Christian and being a pastor and being whatever. You should understand that if they hated the master, they're going to hate you too. If they hate Jesus, they're going to hate you. Your family is going to be really confused by why you want to follow Jesus. They're going to be maybe even frustrated with about it. They're maybe going to ignore you like some of my family has. Right? They're, these challenges are going to come, and they're real. And it's poor discipleship to not tell you. You need to understand. If you want to follow Christ, 
The Pharisees are going to show up. People are going to show up. That's without. Now, here's the without is also in the church. Sometimes we make it harder on each other than we need to because we, we don't keep it simple. Now, the worst part is this. That's from without. Anybody experience the challenges from within? What do I mean by the challenges within? Here's what I mean. When you became a Christian, have you ever wrestled with these questions? I'm a follower of Jesus, but why do I still struggle with sin? Anybody struggle with that? Why do I still struggle with sin? I'm a follower of Jesus. Why do I struggle to forgive people? I've been forgiven. Why can't I forgive? Anybody struggle with, I, I, I am a follower of Jesus. Why don't I love Jesus right now? Anybody? Anybody like me? Is it just me? I'm a follower of Jesus. Why do I struggle with doubt? Anybody struggle with doubt? You're a follower of Jesus. You go, why do I, why do I just doubt this so much? And that struggle within sometimes is the most challenging. I imagine that Matthew, when he was sitting there at this house with all of his buddies, got Jesus there. It's just like a real pivotal moment in his life. He's the guy who wrote this book, by the way, Matthew. And he's sitting there. When he hears the Pharisees knocking on the door and they go, why are you, why is your teacher eating with all these tax collectors and sinners? You think it hit him? I guarantee you Matthew had some thoughts in mind like, yeah, I don't understand. Why are you, why did you invite me to follow you? Christians, those challenges come inside as well. Where you start to think, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not righteous enough. I'm not doing this as well enough. My expectations I'm not meeting. I'm not meeting God's expectations. Those people are going, ah, oh, you're just a hypocrite. What does everybody think? And so the challenges without and the challenges within uh, can sometimes be pretty crippling. And I have experienced this. In my 18 years of following Jesus, I've been in this place so many times. And I think a lot of you guys have as well. So I just want to ask you a few questions that I think could help you out. I think could help you out. I want you to consider these. If you can answer the first three uh, a certain way, then the second three are going to make a lot of sense. Here's the first three, and they might be on the screen. Let me ask you this. Who isn't a sinner? Okay, yes, Jesus. All right, okay, let's exclude Jesus. Good job. Okay. Yeah, good job. Good job. I'm proud of you. Very, very good. Okay, but... Outside of Jesus, who is not a sinner? Tell me somebody. Nobody? Give it a shot. One person. Tell me somebody. Come on, just one. Just give me one person who's not a sinner. Okay, nobody. Okay? But let me ask you this. Were you saved by works? If you're a Christian in this room, were you saved by works or were you saved by faith? Faith. Okay, so let me ask You didn't do anything to save yourself? Come on, you showed up to church today. That, that didn't save you? No. Nothing. So faith saved you. Okay, then what was your faith in? And everybody said. Jesus. There we go. Good job, guys. Your faith was in Jesus. Now, listen, listen I, I, I don't want it to be just like silly or felt board-ish. This is like, this is really, really serious. If, if nobody or if everybody is a sinner, and you were only saved by faith in Jesus, then I want you to answer these ones. If the world hates Jesus, should you expect that it hates you? I need you to tell yourself the answer is yes. It'll help you out a little bit. It helps me out a little bit. If we just get, get it wrapped around our brains, that they're just not going to like you because of that. Fifth question. What bearing will their hatred and judgment and opinion 
have when you stand before Jesus in heaven? Listen, some of you didn't have an answer, but did you hear that answer? None. When I stand before Jesus in heaven, nobody in this community gets to have a word on what I deserve. Zero. And nobody in this community, nobody in your family, nobody from your past gets to have a word when you stand before Jesus. I don't care if you're a Christian or not. Nobody gets to speak into it. Okay, that's what the Bible teaches. Here's the the last one I want to ask you. What bearing will your personal feelings of inadequacy and doubt and fear have when you stand before Jesus in heaven? Guys, listen, you, you can stand before Jesus. I ask this to people every time I'm on an airplane and I meet somebody far from Jesus and I'm having, a, I'm having one of those quick conversations. I go, what are you going to say? And they got all these things. I helped somebody cross the road. I've been generally good. You know, I haven't killed anybody. And I go, that's fantastic. I love it. I love sitting next to somebody on a plane who hasn't killed anybody. That's, that's great. <laughs> that's really great. But can I just go ahead and tell you, you're not going to get to say any of that. And so as a non-believer, that should awaken you. But as a believer, guys, that should wake you up. It, who you are before God has nothing to do with what you say or what you do or what anybody else says or does for or against you. Do you understand? That's what your Bible teaches you. Why does that matter? Because it, it, Why it matters is because when they come knocking on your door and they go, we hate that you're a Christian, you can go, I don't care. Because what you hate about my Christianity, what you think about my hypocrisy, is not what shapes me and determines my destiny. And Christians, listen to me. I'm with you guys. We, I need your help to know that a little bit more fiercely. We all do. Because the challenges are going to come. Now, let's get to Jesus' answer. They knock on the door. They ask the question, what is your teacher doing? eating with tax collectors and sinners. And you hear this rowdy party just sort of like, kind of like, ooh. Kind of, all right? Somebody, uh, somebody, you know, was a party pooper and it was the Pharisees. And so Jesus, before, like, it seems like before his disciples get to even answer, Jesus steps up and he gives them an answer. Let me remind you, he says this, verse 12. But when he heard it, I just met him just, you know, getting up, wiping his mouth, going over the door. And he goes, listen, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. He's saying this to those who teach the law. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. So here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to break down a lot of these words. Let's think about, the, think about physicians. Everybody in here, anybody ever seen a doctor? Anybody in here a doctor? Okay, nobody wants to raise their hand. Okay, that's, that's fine. Maybe it's because it's true. Uh, the people, who goes to doctors? Who goes to the doctors? Sick people, especially in this culture. In this culture, it's the sick people who call on the physicians. Unsick people or perceived unsick people do not call on the doctors. They don't, have, they don't understand blood pressure, okay? They don't understand blood tests. They don't, they don't have machines that scan their whole body to tell them about the invisible things that they cannot see that are inside of them that are killing them. Okay, so they don't have that. So set your, set your mindset over here. But the reality is it's only those who are sick that call on doctors, right? Does that make sense to you? All right, your children downstairs understand that. We all understand that. Okay, now, but let me ask you this. What if, what if every time you went to the doctor, sick or not sick, because we get checkups, right, in this culture, 
because we know what blood pressure is. We know what the scans are. What if we went to the doctor, and, then, and, and when you went to the doctor, every time, he, he, he came into the room. He goes, well, he just dropped the paper on the counter. He goes, listen, I got some bad news. You're going to die. You are terminally, terminally ill. How would you respond? What? What do you mean? Like, why? What, like, what, what's the problem? What are you saying? He goes, well, listen. Um, I don't know if you know this, but y- your body is dying, and you're going to die. You're going to pass. Oh, when? It's like, well, it could be, well, it could be about tomorrow. I mean, it could be, it could be about five decades from now, but you're going to die. Are, are you catching up to what I'm? Would he technically be right? Okay, so let's get, our, let's get our brains on the same page for a moment. You are going to die. You are terminally ill. Terminally, uh, terminal uh, or a terminal illness, you can take out illness, but terminal is an illness or condition in which cannot be cured and is likely to lead to someone's death. We go, well, that, that includes everything that's right now. You're just on a long decay, some of you, but you're going to die. And your doctor would be right. Listen, you're terminally ill. Every one of you in this room, there will be a day you don't breathe. Your blood does not pump. Where they are taking your stuff and they're donating it, selling it, getting rid of it, right? Your, your life will be summed up in, a, in this half sheet of paper that they'll open, fold, throw away, and then you're gone. That's it. You're going to die. You are terminally ill right now. Now, let's work through this biblically. Because the reality is the Bible teaches us, and the Bible is true. The Bible says that it was not supposed to be that way. That's why every one of you in your heart goes, this is not supposed to be this way. When you go to a funeral, you hate it. Not because, you know, we're a part of just this meaningless progression of events where we just live, we die, and it doesn't matter. The reason why all of you feel like I hate this is because it actually doesn't matter because you know in your soul it's not supposed to be this way. And you know what? You're right, and the Bible tells you you're right. Because in the very beginning, in Genesis, God created everything good, and it was actually created eternal. You have a spirit inside of you, but your body was also eternal. You were supposed to live forever. But then something happens. Sin enters the world. Now, we're going to break down sin a little bit because I think some of you go, I'm in a Baptist building. You're talking about sin. Right? And we've got a confused thing. But I want you to understand, when sin entered the world, suddenly the world got corrupted, and all of a sudden everything had a term limit. Everything became terminal as soon as sin came in. You became terminal, terminal and this world became terminal. Do you know that? And your Bible tells you it has an end date. It has a term. The scientists are even saying right now, this has a term. This is all going to blow up. And you know what? The Bible says, yes, scientists, welcome to the story. I'm glad you caught up. Yes, it has a term limit. So biblically speaking, you're right. So this is true for everyone. Everyone's going to die. The Pharisees, the tax collectors, you and me, we're all going to pass. Now, why is that? And it's because of sin. So he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Let's keep cruising. I'm going to show you a little bit more about sin. But first, let's talk about mercy. Does anybody know what the word mercy in the Bible, in the Greek, really is, or where it comes from? Okay, it comes from a, a Greek word, elio. Everybody say elio. Ah, I like it, elio. Okay, elio, it's Greek, and it comes from a word for olive oil. It comes from a word for olive oil. And olive oil was the number one most popular medicinal, I don't know what you call this, item, thing that people use to heal wounds. All right? What would you say? 
juice. Okay, every, this, olive oil is what everyone would use to anoint illnesses and sicknesses. So if you had a cut, olive oil, right? It was the Band-Aid. They used olive oil for all kinds of wounds. Really, really amazing. And in Capernaum, there's an olive tree sitting next to an olive press. We're going to get to it. I'm going to tell you about it here in a minute. And so it, it, olive oil is a primary treatment for wounds. So mercy carries a sense of healing. You need to understand this. It carries a sense of healing. Now, he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. I desire this healing for a wound, not sacrifice. What he means by not sacrifice doesn't mean a sacrificial system. What he means is, uh, he means strict obedience to the command of God. He says, I care more about healing than I care about strict obedience to the law. Jesus is doing something really amazing right here. Christians, you have to understand this. You've really got to understand this. Jesus is connecting healing to sin. He's connecting healing to sin. This explains why Jesus spends so much quality time with tax collectors and sinners, as I explained earlier. And Jesus says here, right, he wants to show them mercy, which means what? He wants to put olive oil on them. He wants to heal them. Now, did all the tax collectors and sinners, are they, do they all have wounds when they showed up to Matthew's house and he's just over there pouring olive oil on everybody? No, that's not what's happening. He is talking about a healing of the soul. So let me tell you this. There's so much irony laced within this because who he's talking to are the Pharisees. In Romans chapter 3, it says this. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside and together have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The reality is Jesus is sitting and he's explaining to these Pharisees why he's hanging out with all these tax collectors and sinners. He goes, because they're sick and I want to be with them. But the irony is the people he's talking to are also sick. Because let me ask you, did those Pharisees that he talked to, did they die? Yeah, you know why they died? Romans 3.23 tells us exactly why. Romans 3.22-23 says, For there is no, dis- no distinction. Listen, there's no distinction between tax collectors and Pharisees. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if sin is the great corruption that's brought all the brokenness in this world, and everyone has sinned, that means that the tax collectors and the sinners are sick, And the Pharisees are also sick because all of them are going to die. But what does it also mean about this room? Is everybody in here going to die? What does it mean? It means all of us in this room have what? Sin. I do too. I'm going to die. And and Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So if we all have sin and we're all going to die, that means we all have sin. It's what we've earned. We worked for it and we're going to get what we deserve. So, what does this mean? So, Jesus says, for the, uh, Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What he's saying, this is so brilliant. What he's saying is, I desire for your healing, not your strict obedience to the law. Because the reality is, you cannot obey the law well enough to be healed. Listen, it's like me saying this to you. If you went up to your doctor and you said, doctor, I'm dying. And he goes, I know. Everyone's going to die. He goes, well, what can I do? And he goes, well, if you eat really well and you do a lot of exercise, you can live forever. Is that true? But yet, 
In our faith, we act like it's true. If I live really well, then I'll live forever. That's a lie. That's a complete lie. What you need is mercy. Now listen, what, how do we know that Jesus desires mercy for us? Not just because he says it, Jesus proves it. He desires mercy for us. So the all oppressed. So I was standing in Capernaum, and the whole city area where Peter lived is pretty amazing, but the, probably the most emotionally incredible thing for me was that if where, Jesus, you know, a lot of times he would rise early and he'd go up into the mountains and he would just sit and pray and be with the Father. And on his way out, no doubt, he walked by this olive press all the time. He walked right past this olive press. This olive press is amazing. If you know anything about olive presses, they would take all these olives, and there's an olive tree over it. They would take these olives, okay, and they put them into this, uh, they kind of pile them up, and they would roll a massive stone over them, and, would, and it would crush them. And so as they roll the stone all the way around and it's crushing all these olives, the olive oil would run and then there's a spout and it would run down this rock into this reservoir and then they would collect it in drums and go and sell it so people could use it for healing. Okay? So that's what olive oil is. And so Jesus would walk past this every day as he lived in Capernaum. Walk past this olive oil. And uh, here's what Isaiah 53, 5 says. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. You know what that is? That's an image of an olive press. Jesus was crushed by our sin, a weight that none of us in this room could, could bear. And that punishment and the pouring out of his blood becomes forgiveness of sins for everybody who has faith in him. It becomes our mercy, our healing. Do you understand? Guys, we, Jesus wants to give the Pharisees, the tax collectors, the sinners, the Kodiites, the pastors, everybody. He wants to give us healing. But the reality is if we faced our own punishment, we would not be healed. But by the olive oil and the mercy of God, and Jesus being crushed for our iniquities, we can be healed. Do you understand this? So Jesus being crushed on there, that's how he does it. And that's how, now, what does it show about God? Why does he do this? Why does Jesus desire mercy for sinners? Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 tells you. This is so good. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy. You have a new understanding of that word, right? It's healing. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loves you. Even when you were dead in your trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Friends, do you, this is the point of this passage. Jesus is showing us in the whole world. He sees our sickness. He recognizes it. He doesn't just see your sickness. He sees you. And he cares about you so much. But you're dying. You are dead. And you need to be healed. You need to be made alive. And the only way that could happen is if you get mercy. And in his great love for you, friend, he gave his son to be the olive who was crushed so that you might be healed and you could experience the unmerited favor of God. Amen? That is what this whole passage is about.
And so regardless of the challenges that come in your life, if you can get this, you understand what the Bible is all about. And you'll understand what Jake just told you. Jake is healed not because Jake uh, started going to church and started reading his Bible and doing it. It's because God showed Jake mercy. And Jake said, I want to follow you. And he was saved. So friend in this room, listen to me. If there's some of you in this room, you thought that Jesus would turn you away. I want you to know you're turning him away right now. He's been inviting you your whole life. There's some of you in the room, you've got, some, you've got some sickness, man, and this sin is killing you. You've got an addiction like Jake had and like I've had. You've got an addiction. You've got something killing you. Maybe it's your selfishness. It's your pride. Maybe it is substance. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's whatever. Listen, what, we don't care. That's the fruit. That's the thing that's going on in your life. But at the end of the day, below the surface, the root is you need new life, and Jesus wants to give you new life. That is why the Son of God came is because it, we, we were hopeless without him. And he was crushed so that you could be forgiven. So I, I, I need you to know, he sees you, he knows your sin better than you, but he wants to show you mercy and he wants to forgive you, give you healing. But here's all you got to do. Everybody said in this room who's a Christian, they said, uh, they were not saved because they came to church and they did good things. They were saved because they believed in the one who did good things. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to be saved, it's as simple as this. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you say, I want to follow you, and you just decide to rise up and follow Jesus, you're his. You say, I believe, and then you rise. We know Matthew believed because he rose. And we know you'll believe because you'll get baptized, which is a symbol of your washing and being made well and, and having new life. So it just comes down to faith. Christians in the room, listen, the last thing I want to say to you, friends, don't forget what you were saved from. Don't turn into the Pharisees who make everything complicated and go back to a, a religion of works. That's not what Christianity is. That's every other religion. That's not Christianity. It's a religion of faith. Don't forget that you needed mercy. So be merciful. Open up your house. Invite them crazy rodeo bull cowboys, those tiny little testosterone-filled crazy people. Say, come on over, bud. Or let me come to your house and just sit and love them and care for them. But here's what you need to know. You are not Jesus in this story. You are Matthew. You're the one who needs to be invited in for healing. So point them to Jesus. Don't be there, Jesus. Point them to who Jesus is. He wants to heal them, and he loves them. So act like it. And listen, just get up and follow Jesus. All right? And a good way to do that is to get up and sing to the Lord. So let me pray. And uh, we're going to sing and worship him because he deserves it. Father in heaven, thank you that 18 years ago you took a little messed up person that I was and you rescued me. Thank you that years ago you took Jake and you rescued him. Thank you that you took Jake's parents and you showed them the gospel and that they gave it to their children. Thank you for all the millions of people who've received this gospel and told other scoundrels and tax collectors and sinners and, and Pharisees and broken people. Thank you for all those who continue to tell us that Jesus, you're somebody wants to heal. And thank you, Jesus, for getting under that olive press and being poured out for us. We praise you. You are wonderful and you're good. God, this is all about you. May you receive the glory. If there's somebody in this room, Spirit, you know what to do. I pray you would open their heart and their mind. I pray for the first time in their life they would see, understand, know, and they, right now they would believe in you and they would just rise and follow you.
For every Christian in this room who's been living in fear because of, uh, of challenges, uh, inside and outside, I pray, God, those fears would fall away, being reminded that they have been saved by grace through faith and by faith alone. May you be, receive glory and honor, God, as we sing through you.